I can't think of any business that is so departmentally structured and complex as a major theme park. There's so many balls in the air that, you know, everything needs to be firing on all cylinders. Otherwise, you know, it becomes very apparent that something's off. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. What's up, folks? Welcome to episode 17. Today, we're going to be talking about what manufacturers can learn from the attraction industry. We're going to try something new today. We're going to look at a different industry, specifically the entertainment, amusement parks, roller coasters space, and pull business lessons and put those in the context of actions that manufacturers can take. I'm going to tell you on the front end that I am someone that is absolutely obsessed with roller coasters. So when I first found out there might be a way to do an episode like this, I got pretty excited. Plus, we've been covering some pretty heavy content lately. We recorded this in May 2020. Obviously, the coronavirus pandemic is still going on at this time. So I'm hoping that this episode provides some much needed levity. We're going to be talking with Josh Liebman, who is not only a seasoned amusement industry veteran, but he's also the host of his own show called Attraction Pros. We'll get more into that in just a second. But since we're entering new territory today, I want to make sure I give you the three things you can expect from today's episode. First, we're going to go over Josh's story and what got him into the attractions industry. This is a slightly longer intro than we normally do, and we definitely geek out on amusement parks and roller coasters a little bit here, so bear with us. We're going to get into two really constructive things right after that. Which brings us to the next takeaway from this episode. We're going to be talking about operations lessons that manufacturers can take from the amusement park industry. Josh is going to put this in the context of a pretty cool story of a ride he was operating one summer. In, and there's even a little bit of a technical how it's made element to how he describes it. So I think you're going to enjoy this part of the episode. After we cover the operational lessons, the third thing you can expect from this episode is some takeaways around guest experience, or as I'd say in the manufacturing space, customer experience. Josh is going to share some more stories about how he's created memorable experiences for the guests that have come to his parks, and even some tough situations where he had to turn some lemons into lemonade. You know, going into this episode, I thought there'd be some really great parallels between the amusement industry and the manufacturing sector. And Josh only went on to prove my point throughout this episode. So I hope you find this episode valuable, but I also hope you find it entertaining, particularly if you're someone that also really digs roller coasters. I should say that there is a bonus episode coming right after this because, like I said, you'll hear a little bit of it in the intro, but Josh and I could talk about roller coasters all day long. And that's exactly what we did. We recorded a bonus episode that we will air after this one comes out, where we just riff on roller coasters, our favorite rides, some of the parks we've visited around the world. So if you're interested in having a little more fun with us and taking a deep dive into the roller coasters themselves, stick around for that bonus episode coming very soon. 
As always, if you like what you're hearing on the show, please consider leaving a five-star rating and review at Apple Podcasts. You can get there by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes. You can leave a five-star rating. That's very easy to do, but you can also leave a review that's as short as one sentence, especially since we're doing a new episode today. Your feedback can really help in understanding if we should continue to do things like this where we draw parallels between the manufacturing space and other industries. Again, head to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes to leave a rating and review. Also, if you like what you hear throughout the episode and you're interested in connecting with Josh or learning more about any of the rides and resources we mentioned during this episode, you can find all of those in the show notes at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 17. Now, it's time to lower those shoulder harnesses. Brace yourself as you go up the lift hill. We're going to dive down that first drop into our conversation with Josh Liebman. Before we get into anything, Josh, I have to ask, what is it that originally got you into roller coasters? Like, what was your first ride that sold you on on this whole industry? Sure. Yeah. So let's go back to, uh, well, we could start when I was seven years old when uh, when I rode my first roller coaster. You know, I was just absolutely scared out of my mind. <laughs> it was, it was like point. You know, I, I had the courage to ride Junior Gemini, which has since been renamed in the last couple of years or so, and then uh, struck up the courage to go right to the other side of the midway and uh, jump on Gemini's blue train. Mm. And I'll tell you why it's significant that I remember that it was blue versus red. If you're familiar, or if you know Gemini, it's a racing coaster. There's yeah. a blue train and a red train. They race each other. Good context. Yeah. And, and again, I was scared out of my mind too. I, I remember going up the lift and, uh, and I was with my mom. And I remember my mom actually saying, wow, it is a beautiful day. You can, you can see you know, Lake Erie. You can see just, just all across this just gorgeous scenery here. And then I realized the moment that my mom was freaking out because it clicked in her. Oh, we're just going up right now. Like, (laughs) we go up, we have to, you know, descend as well. And that I remember that projected onto me a little bit that I was like, oh, man, I'm really scared. But also, like, I had the adrenaline building there, too. Mm -hmm. I remember it was the blue train is because, you know, at seven years old, I, I didn't really have much context of, you know, how how many things worked. And I looked over to Magnum, which Mm -hmm. Red track, moly orange, if you want to be specific, but that's and very tall, over two first roller coaster over two hundred feet, if I remember right. That's right, in nineteen eighty nine, and Gemini, when it was built in nineteen seventy eight, was the tallest roller coaster in the world at I think around one hundred twenty eight feet or so. But I remember looking over and saying, "Oh, does the red train go into that track?" And, uh, <laughs> and like I think my mom was just like, "Yep, like doesn't matter, we're not on it anyway." Uh, and so I remember getting off the blue train and uh, of Gemini. And I remember being very scared, but very amped up, but then saying, okay, I want to go on the red one because I want to go on that red track over there, pointing to Magnum again, not really knowing uh, how that worked. Uh, And then I remember freaking out on the lift and actually being very relieved at the end of that. (laughs) Yeah. I wasn't ready for Magnum yet. But the, the interesting thing about that was for many people, that would have been the story of like, and from that day forward, I was absolutely hooked and, you know, couldn't get it out of my head. Like I was, you know, so excited and obsessed at that point. Mm-hmm. Because I, I felt like once I left the park, I think like the scaredness feeling that I felt, that anxiety, I think started to sit in actually. And it wasn't for another, 
yeah, probably like five years. I was like 12. You know, I remember it was, yeah, it was right around 12 years old. I was with, I was with a, a group of friends, or I think with a youth group. And I like worked my way up throughout the day to eventually ride Corkscrew, which was the first coaster that I've been on that goes upside down. And I remember being like, okay, I can do it. Like, this is like, it's thrilling. It's exhilarating. Yeah, it's scary, but it's fun. You know, it's, it's scary fun, which is what everyone's been trying to tell me that this is over the last several years. And then I rode Raptor after that. Oh, hell yeah. One of the best. And I was like, now I can do anything. Now I can conquer the world. And then that was the moment <laughs> where I said, all right, now we're off. Man, that is that is excellent. That is a great start to a career story. In fact, it's I, I don't know. I feel like a lot of stories about people that get into roller coasters are kind of similar because I rode the River King mine train in my hometown of Six Flags St. Louis when I was like in kindergarten. Sure. And then that was cool. Had a great drop at the end of the ride. But it wasn't until I went on the Ninja, which is a looping roller coaster there that I was just hooked. And uh, I think it was like a week later, I found out from one of my classmates that there was this magical place in Ohio called Cedar Point with like 11 roller coasters. And we happened to be going on a road trip later that summer out east to visit my mom's parents. And we made a detour there. And at that point, riding Raptor, riding Gemini, riding Magnum XL 200, that's when I was hooked. You know, it was, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that magical little peninsula is definitely a solidified uh, it's it's place in a lot of people's hearts. For those out there listening today, uh, you can tell we're probably going to talk facts and figures and name drop like it's our job when it comes to roller coasters. But before I get too far, I want to make sure I give you a proper introduction. So our guest today probably has one of the coolest jobs in the world. After getting a bachelor's in theme park management and a master's in hospitality management from the University of Central Florida, this individual has moved through the ranks in the amusement and entertainment industry and is now the director of business development for Amusement Advantage. There, he helps leaders in attractions industries understand and improve their guest experience. Not to mention, he also co-hosts his own podcast, Attraction Pros, where he provides tips, tools, and inspiration to the leaders working in theme parks, zoos, museums, and family entertainment centers to increase employee engagement. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm excited to introduce you to a true ambassador of amusement, Josh Liebman. Josh, welcome to the show. That was uh, the most exhilarating introduction I feel like I've ever gotten. Thank you. More or less exhilarating than writing Magnum XL 200. Let me ask that. That's up for debate, but I know to be here. I really appreciate you uh, asking me to come on the show. Well, I'm excited to have you on. It's uh, This is a little change of pace from what we normally do on the show. We talk to leaders in the manufacturing industry to get tips and tricks, similar to the way you do for your industry, on how to lead their teams, how to improve their operations. But I think there are a lot of parallels that can be drawn between park operations, guest experience, customer experience. So I'm excited to dive into some of those with you today. But to really kick things off in the spirit of manufacturing happy hour, I always like to ask people to uh, describe what they do as if you were talking to someone at your local bar. So let's say you're hanging out at Tunes in your home of Chicago and someone comes up and they're like, Josh, you know, what is it you do? I know you help leaders in attractions industries with guest experience, but, you know, what does that really mean? Ooh, Man, you know, when people ask me uh, if I am sitting at a bar that I, I usually go very clinical of, well, I consult for this and this and this and this, but I guess maybe this is a good reminder that I could uh, I could kind of make it a little bit more of a casual conversation. And and ultimately, 
I, you know, I help uh, theme parks and attractions uh, improve their guest experience uh, by understanding what their guests are saying uh, about their operations and about the time that they had while visiting uh, and help them really dive deep into some priorities for operational concerns uh, that they can then in turn use as a feedback loop with their operations, their guests, and continually refine those procedures. So how is that for casual uh, bar style conversation? I, I, th I think it makes sense. I also think that it sets the tone for more great questions after this. So I do want to dive into the guest experience aspect and the park operations aspect, like I mentioned earlier. But I'd love to get a little bit more of your story because we talked about what got you into roller coasters, what got you hooked. But you know, I, I feel like some people say, hey, I want to get into the amusement park industry. And, and you actually pursued a degree specific to that. So how did, how did that look and how did that get you into your first role in the amusement industry? Sure. Uh, so my first role was very much as a line level, uh, you know, frontline employee. I, you know, I was, I was a ride operator at Cedar Point for two summers. You know, the, uh, immediately right after I graduated high school, uh, I, I grew up outside Detroit, Michigan. I moved to Sandusky and, you know, literally, uh, you know, my birthday is in June and you have to be 18 to be a ride operator. So I, I turned 18, you know, middle of June. And I, the next day I was processing in, it was my first day of employment at, uh, at Cedar Point. So I literally uh, just got up and left essentially. Yeah. And so it was, it was officially even before starting to pursue my degree. Uh, I knew that I wanted to do it when I, when I first heard about it, uh, you know, I was touring schools in Florida and ended up in Orlando at UCF. Interestingly enough, uh, my original path, uh, I actually thought was going to be engineering. And then the more that I actually learned about operations, I kind of shifted from that standpoint to kind of focus more, I would say, towards hospitality, if you will. So it was interesting. I always had that kind of in the, in the back of my mind of like, oh, I want to, like when I was in high school, I was like, oh, I, I want to design roller coasters. Mm -hmm. and, and you know, kind of realizing the barriers to entry specifically from that standpoint. Now, granted, looking back, like now, if I wanted to, if I was like, you know, 17 right now and, and knew everything I know now about the industry, that would be a lot, it would be maybe not that much easier, but it would, there'd be less of a, a, a curve to kind of figure out where I needed to go, but I didn't know what mm -hmm. I did. And then, you know, my, my first day really working at Cedar Point, I really fell in love with just the way that the park opens in the morning, you know, mm -hmm. I, remember, I remember just seeing it. I had never been in an amusement park or a theme park outside of regular operations. I, I really just loved everything that was going on during that point to make it look like it just switched on. And it, and now it's just here and now everything's just perfect. And these, these flowers are watered and, you know, these handrails are cleaned off and, uh, you know, these coasters are cycling and mm -hmm. the fryers are turned on. Like, I mean, I mean, just everything that goes into just making, uh, you know, whether it's a theme park or an amusement park or any like large scale attraction, just open mm -hmm. business for daily operations. Uh, I thought it was really cool. And I wanted to learn more and more about that. And then when I found out that as part of UCF's hospitality program that they had a track in theme park management, I, you know, I just figured, hey, that... That sounds like it's for me. 
And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. it turned out that it was. So I moved to Orlando. And while I was in school, I uh, worked for Disney. I worked for Universal, had the opportunity to open Legoland and was able to really do that from the practical standpoint of operating and from kind of being in the parks on a day-to-day basis uh, while simultaneously getting the academic side of it. And really that you combined, I would say just, you know, put gas on the fire of my passion mm-hmm. first for the industry. You painted a great picture of what it's like when the fryers are turning on, the railings are wiped down. What is something that surprised you about the behind the scenes of park operations? Because I think when we see shows like how it's made and we see how stuff is being made on the manufacturing floor, there's a lot of surprises there. But what's something from your own experience that surprised you about that operations process that the normal person doesn't get to see? Right. Uh, It's very procedural. It's very, uh, you know, it's, it's checklist driven. It's, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's, it's very much a methodical standpoint of when, you know, maintenance comes in the morning, they do their full inspection and then operations, ride ops can't do anything until their ride or attraction is turned over from maintenance. And then once that happens, you know, now there's another series of checklists from the operational standpoint. So you look at it from, you know, a, a functionality safety standpoint, and then looking at it from a guest experience standpoint, you know, is the queue mm-hmm. clean? Was anyone chewing gum and left gum on the handrails or something like that? I mean, you, you go down mm-hmm. to granular detail. And now, I mean, what operators are going to be dealing with, you know, the, the majority of, of parks worldwide are closed. A lot of them are, are in the process of reopening. And now all of that, everything that, you know, that, that checklist mentality is, is just exponentially greater because of the additional standards, you know, being put in place, you know, but that's, that's obviously a, you know, a whole nother topic altogether. You know, the, the amount that goes into just, just allowing the, each venue to open, because all of that, that I just described, that's only for, for one, you know, particular ride show attraction, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, and there's so many moving parts within yeah, a yeah. park. And then, you know, your food and beverage, your retail, your games, mm-hmm. your you know, your security, your first aid, your entrance operations, your guest services. You know, I mean, the uh, like there's I, I can't think of any business that is so departmentally structured and complex as a major theme park or, or at least I would say a major theme park resort, particularly that now has a lodging component with it. I mean, just just tying it all in together. Uh, there's so many balls in the air that, you know, everything needs to be firing on all cylinders. Otherwise, you know, it becomes very apparent that, uh, you know, that something's, that something's off and there's that domino effect that can happen with it as well. So the amount of, of preventing that, you know, cascading domino effect that impacts the guest experience and guest experience, mm-hmm. one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about it is because it, it translates back to the bottom line of the business. If you have a guest mm-hmm. who is upset, you know, if you're going from California, driving all the way out east to Ohio, and you go to Cedar Point, and you have anything less than the most phenomenal experience, you're going to say, well, why did I do this? Why did I, you know, why did I waste my money on XYZ? You know, I came from such a far distance, because I had such a great expectation. And, you know, and, and then this happened, you know, whether it was something that fell below, or hopefully it was something that went above and beyond. So, uh, so then that turned into very much kind of, you know, what I what I focus on now. There are a lot of cool different discussions we could have there because I'm I'm equating this back to manufacturing as we talk through it. Also, as much of a roller coaster junkie as I am, and I just want to think about the roller coaster aspect. I, one of the first things that stuck out that I thought was very interesting is how it's very compartmentalized. Everything you described that's just for like one attraction going through with the operations and the guest experience portion of it, and then 
that's all additive throughout the rest of the park when you take every other ride that contributes to that overall guest experience. This this brings me to another question. I, I want to talk operations and I want to talk guest experience because I, I'm curious, what are as as we have leaders in manufacturing that have to operate their plants that have a lot of moving parts the same way an amusement park does. For sure. What would you say maybe are the core tenants or maybe the three most important things that go into successfully operating at a park, whether it's something that people see or it's the stuff behind the scenes? Okay, sure. Uh, so first and foremost, uh, number one is safety. You know, that is, you know, overarching. That is the one thing that can cancel out anything else that's on the list. And that's something yep. that is uh, stressed, you know, so strongly throughout the entire industry is that, uh, you know, when it comes to priorities, you know, safety obviously is, is key, even if it, uh, comes at the expense of guest experience, because obviously otherwise, you know, playing devil's advocate, you know, if you're focusing too much on guest experience and not enough on safety, then ultimately that guest isn't going to have a good experience. You know, a few other ones too, uh, efficiency, you know, is, is a, a massive one as well that I, uh, you know, especially, you know, it, it comes down to staffing. It comes down to not only staffing, but also uh, activation of those staff members to ensure that they are focused on efficiency as well. Uh, you know, if you take something like like a roller coaster, if you think of, of that as a piece of heavy machinery that needs to do a specific task uh, over a specific interval, whether it's, you know, a designated minute and a half, two minutes or, or whatnot. Again, that's just one example, uh, you know, that that the staff needs to be committed to that efficiency uh, to ensure that the overall machine, whether it's that ride or the park as a whole, is is able to kind of operate on all those cylinders. Um, service, definitely another one that uh, we are an industry that people partake in because they want to. Mm-hmm. as they need to. That's mm-hmm. one of the things that, you know, I, I talk to my clients a lot about and uh, particularly if I'm doing a, a workshop on site, you know, with a lot of staff members uh, that sometimes we lose sight of the fact that people don't need to come visit. You know, they could literally be doing anything else. So the, the service standpoint needs to be, you know, so high that that expectation that we can make sure we can exceed that from a, from a hospitality standpoint, from a friendliness standpoint, from a, you know, an anticipation of guest needs standpoint, um, and I know you asked me three, but I'll give you a fourth one, which is cleanliness. Sure. Well, yeah. And, uh, um, that's one that has always been a large expectation and a large, uh, I'd say, cornerstone uh, yeah. of the industry, of the business, that it, an unclean facility can really damage a reputation. Uh, and mm-hmm. once again, right now, all, all those standards that we had before are out the window. And now the industry is in the process of, of rebuilding what it looks like or, or just really putting the magnifying glass on, on ensuring that we are not only maintaining a clean facility, but also that we're communicating those standards to our guests as well. So safety, efficiency, service, cleanliness, I can go on. There's more, but no, I mean, that's, that's an excellent recap. And I, I'm just thinking drawing parallels between some of those, a couple of things that I think are interesting, interesting is most manufacturers, all manufacturers should say this, but safety should be number one for them as well in operating a plant. So I love that that's the first thing that jumps out. Another thing, everything you talked about is in some way tied to guest experience. Everything in operations has some impact around guest experience. And the fact that people don't necessarily, they choose to go to amusement parks. It's not a necessity industry, for example, but I think manufacturers can behoove 
themselves by thinking of them their product the same way. People don't have to buy from them. It's not quite the same thing where, you know, a lot of manufacturers create a widget that is essential for something else in the supply chain. But there are always other options that right. people could go to. You've got your competition, regardless of your direct competition or if it's some sort of alternative that someone can buy or focus their energy on. Exactly. And I think, especially for manufacturers, that might be a cool mindset to adopt where it's like, you know, think of it like an amusement park. Like it's, it's people don't need you at the end of the day. There are other options that people can take on. So creating not only a great product, but a great customer experience after the fact. And we're going to get more into guest experience here in a second. Those all tie in very, very closely. So I'd be interested for all the manufacturers out there listening to this. If you've got any other thoughts on parallels you heard there feel free to mention that in the comments on our social media or on linkedin or wherever you're you're engaging with the show we'll be right back right after a word from our sponsor this episode is sponsored by concept systems who you can find at conceptsystemsinc.com Concept Systems is an independent systems integrator and your automation solution partner for anything from antiquated control system retrofits to greenfield controls coordination and project management. Whether it's process or discrete control, Concept Systems has been doing this for over 20 years. They've partnered with best-in-class companies like Rockwell Automation and Fnook to conceptualize, design, and build automation systems that include everything like robotics, vision systems, and manufacturing intelligence solutions. Personally, I've been familiar with Concept Systems for a couple years now, and I have to say I'm a huge fan of the amazing team they have over there. With national presence across the U.S., they have application experience in more than just a few industries, including food and beverage, aerospace, automotive, building products, and metals, just to name a few. If you have a project coming up requiring an automation solution partner or even a main automation contractor, head over to conceptsystemsinc.com and get in touch. They take an extremely methodical, risk-mitigating approach to project management that allows you to hit your project timelines and keep focusing on your core business. Oh, and if you want to hear a bit more about Concept Systems, make sure to check out Episode 7 of Manufacturing Happy Hour, which is our panel discussion on smart manufacturing, featuring Concept Systems' very own Director of Sales and Marketing, Ryan Wasmond. And now, back to today's episode. You know, I'm, I'm thinking you've experienced a number of parks, you've experienced a number of industries. Can you tell me about a time where you experienced a challenging operations situation and how you resolved it? Ooh, yes. <laughs> I, you know, there's, there's one that comes to mind. So the park was Hard Rock Park in East South Carolina. I saw that as a quick aside, I saw that you worked there and my jaw freaking dropped because that is, for those of you don't that don't know, Hard Rock Park and you worked there, so please fill me in, but that is like a legendary amusement park because it was so short-lived, but as I understand it, in many ways, so well done for what it was, a rock and roll themed amusement park in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, but that's just all I know about it. Tell us, tell us the real story. Well, so I mean, you make a great point that it it gained so much fame through its failure, almost as much if if not more than it would have had it succeeded. And when you say short lived, that that park opened on 
April 15th, 2008, and it closed on September 25th, 2008. It was, uh, it, it was an amazing park. You know, I mean, like, yeah. like so much of it was so well done. Um, you know, the, the creators of that park and just the energy that went into it. And it, it was hard rock. It was branded as hard rock. It was owned by, a, you know, a, a separate company that licensed the brand from, you know, from Hard Rock International. Uh, but, you know, the signature attraction was Led Zeppelin, the ride. I'm I'm well aware. I still <laughs> plan to go. To, I've, I still plan to go to Vietnam to ride the relocated version of that ride. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, it was timed so perfectly to the song Whole Lot of Love. And Led Zeppelin mm-hmm. like, wouldn't even re, like re-record it or anything like that. So they actually had to design the track and the station and the queue around it. And, and I'm sure... I, you know, you've probably watched, you know, the, the, the POV videos a thousand times. The, That's so cool. When you're That's so cool. And just hearing the bow, bow, and then just Robert Plant just shouting love at the top of his lungs as you're going on that drop. It was, it was, it was unbelievable. So my ride for that summer, I was an operations supervisor at maximum RPM. That was uh, primarily where I was at. This ride was one of its kind. It is mm-hmm. uh, uh, so unique of a design and your, your audience is, is going to love this. Cause if you know anything about roller coasters, the standard kind of cookie cutter that you see is all right, there's, there's a link, there's a chain motor, there's the anti rollback ratchet mm-hmm. dog, mm-hmm. and then once it's off the lift, you know, it's just momentum for, you know, for the rest of the ride. The slight variation of this is that it didn't have a, have a lift hill. Uh, it wasn't a launch coaster. So, you know, we've got, you know, the, the linear induction motor, the linear synchronous motor, all that, you know, kind of, working its way into the industry. The lift hill was a Ferris wheel. So the way that this worked and, uh, and I can, I can get a little technical in the, in the way that I speak about it. I'm going to, I'm going to create a link to this roller coaster on roller coaster database in the show notes at manufacturinghappyhour.com. Just so anyone that's listening, it's like, I really want to see this. We'll, we'll have a a spot where you can look that up. (laughs) So the, the drive tire, you know, the, the drive tires, kick the ride vehicle by the way the ride vehicle instead of a long roller coaster train uh imagine like a mini cooper like a four-seater like mini like mm-hmm. totally decked out like british flags like it was uh, it, it was very austin powersy if you think about it mm-hmm. goes forward instead of getting onto the lift it goes into uh basically a capsule which has a piece of track on it which has a drive tire in it the entire ride itself the entire lift hill was basically a transfer track so the way a transfer track works is that the pins engage and then you know the track rotates and then pins engage again and the and the ride vehicle goes um, or is dispatched. In this case, it gets into the capsule where claws engage onto the ride vehicle, so it's now locked into the capsule. The pins disengage from mm-hmm. the from the capsule itself to the main track, so the so it can rotate. Gets to the top. The pins engage again, so it's now locked in. And by the way, the same thing's happening at the bottom, so it's loading another vehicle. This is so cool. And this this really was a one-of-a-kind roller coaster, like you mentioned. I remember looking it up and just kind of my my jaw dropping as well, just being like, wow, this is the most interesting thing I've ever seen from a roller coaster design. So yeah. hopefully everyone's following along. This show is as much TEDx as it is how it's made. So <laughs> uh, Josh, Josh, back to you with the description. Yeah, I was going to say, you're, you're going to hear, I would say the extent of, of my technical knowledge with it. I mean, maybe I <laughs> more, but I mean, you know, from the operation standpoint, I'm, I'm learning about pins and claws and things all summer. And I was like, I'm, I'm never used to doing this. You dispatch it and, and it's on the lift and then it goes, right? I've got yeah. the, the chain dog and the lift motor. Like, that's all I know, you know? And, uh, okay. So we're, we're now at the top, the pins engaged. So now this locks into the track at the top 
claws drop. And so now the drive tires propel the vehicle forward, at which point now you're on a, reg- a regular roller coaster. Uh, the track layout itself, it was, it was a fun ride. It was basically a big figure eight, a, you know, a, a small, you know, mid-course break in the middle. But when you ask me for kind of a, a challenging time, uh, you know, we, we had a number of mechanical challenges throughout the entire summer. On, on, mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I don't say that in a bad way because it, it was very much par for the course. Anytime you introduce a new concept to the industry, uh, you know, there's, there's going to be uh, kind of the, the blend between the maintenance aspect of it and the operational aspect of it, trying to work in tandem with each other. Mm-hmm. What happened in this case, though, was I personally don't know what happened in the computer system. It must have skipped a step because what should have happened, and there was a ride vehicle, uh, you know, in the, you know, in, in the capsule itself, the pins engaged, the claws thankfully did not drop, but the wheel slightly rotated. It started to act as if the pins were disengaged and now it was, now it was looping back around. Long story short, first of all, everyone was completely fine. The guests who were, who were on that ride vehicle, I mean, I've dealt with way uh, less challenging downtimes with way more challenging guests, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I hear you there. Yeah, there are some things that can oh. just irk someone really quickly. It sounds yeah. like you had reasonable customers, for lack of a better word in this which, case. <laughs> which, it's always great when you get lucky when you've got, when you've got, level-headed people when you're working with a downtime, you got to be prepared for, you know, for all those, all those scenarios. Sure. And, you know, it, it resulted ultimately in the, the track ended up having to be repaired. Uh, we had to evacuate those guests kind of with a, you know, a, a cherry picker lift, um, which again, it, it happens from time to time. It's not common. It's not mm-hmm. a, you know, usual type of type of scenario, but it was really interesting to be a part of that. That was, that was the most, I would say the most challenging downtime I ever had to deal with because normally, you know, if, if there's a downtime, if there's a fault, everything's working together so that in heavy machinery, like a roller coaster, that the system mm-hmm. will shut down if it senses that, that something is amiss. And, uh, whatever happened this time that we, I mean, at that point we weren't able to operate, of course, um, you know, mm-hmm. having to hit the e-stop basically, you know, shunt trip essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was, it was really interesting that they then ended up having to like kind of weld the track back into place. Um, mm. but ultimately everyone was fine. Uh, everyone was happy. Uh, but it was, it was the most, it was the most unusual downtime that I had ever experienced. Um, you know, from that standpoint, cause I, I'd never seen that happen before. How do you manage guests in those type of scenarios or even scenarios that are less obscure than that? I'm just curious because, I mean, that goes back to guest experience, customer experience, and that's something we can learn from in any industry. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, first and foremost, if we're going to talk about the guests who are directly impacted by that, I mean, keep in mind, we had guests in the station, guests waiting in line. They Mm -hmm. were, you know, second and third priorities, still very important, you know, but let's focus on the guests who are most impacted by this. Mm-hmm. Um, so first, I mean, we'll talk about internal communication because at this point, operations and maintenance need to be very much in sync and, you know, and, and working hand in hand with, uh, with what's about to be done and how are we going to communicate this? So at this point, usually operations will turn over the ride over to maintenance essentially so that they can, you know, put it into manual mode and, and do more than general ride operators are permitted or accessible to do. 
So from that standpoint, operations goes into guest service and essentially recovery mode. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the first thing that needs to be done is communication. Is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of automated spiels on roller coasters and rides that, you know, you, you press a downtime button and it plays. Yeah. That's great. Um, it's nice to have in your back pocket mm-hmm. uh, to be able to kind of do if, you know, when, when operations is communicating with maintenance and management and, you know, and, and all of the above. Uh, but having that direct communication with the guests of saying, um, as you are aware, <laughs> your ride vehicle has stopped. Uh, <laughs> you know, please be assured we are doing everything we can to, um, you know, you, you have to be very careful with the verbiage. You know, you don't want to use... Oh, no doubt. No doubt. <laughs> it's, that's different from manufacturing. You can say whatever the heck you want to someone on the plant floor, like, get it up and running. But when right. you're dealing with someone that's your on... Your isn't there, right? You know, yeah, yeah. We just need wow. to fix this. Um, so you, you can't say, like, we're trying to fix the problem. You know, we're, yeah. we're trying to uh, we're we're trying to remedy uh, this scenario. You know, so that this has minimal impact on your day. Uh, mm-hmm. so, I mean, you got to be very intentional about. Uh, you know, you, you can't even say like you know mechanical issues or anything like that. Uh, yeah, you can't. But I mean, like it's uh, it, it's not going to send the right message. Like yeah. I I don't I don't want to hear about a mechanical issue if I'm stuck mid lift on a ride. Long exactly. story short, exactly. <laughs> Especially if you know if you're there having fun and you know you're with your family and you know maybe this this is not your forte you know <laughs> you, you, oh yeah yeah especially you know, if you're the friend that got like dra- dragged onto the roller coaster much to much to your chagrin and your friend's yeah. like oh it's gonna be fine nothing's gonna happen yeah so it's like the first thing is all right we've got you know six people up there which which was an advantage of having the small kind of mini cooper it was like two 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 true silver lining versus like 36 people on a you know on a bnm train and you know they're they're locked in place right like if like you want to avoid panic to whatever possible you want to make sure that they are comfortable if there's a way that you can get to them now the the disadvantage that max rpm had was we didn't have a, a staircase to get up a lift mm, yeah. uh, you know you start bringing bottles of water up there you know just keep people hydrated you know keep people uh keep people comfortable keep people entertained you know you don't you don't want to go too much with like making jokes, but you do want to smile and you want to say, Hey, you know, we completely understand this is not how you intended this ride to go. So, you know, from that, that standpoint of just that communication with the guests and the mm-hmm. occurrence, because if, if they're up there and they don't hear anything, then for all their concern, you know, we, we could have just left. We could have been like, well, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. well, we, we've just given up and, you know, hope they're all right. And right? so they need to know that, the, the matter is being worked on and we are diligently uh, ensuring to get you moving, whether it's actually moving or whether it's get you off uh, mm-hmm. as quickly but as safely as possible. And we appreciate your understanding and your patience. Um, I will say, I remember uh, right when those guests did come down, there was a, a guest service ambassador who was right there waiting for those guests and said, you guys want to go shopping? I'll, I'll take you shopping. <laughs> you know, t-shirts, hats, mugs, like, like that's, and that's just the starting point, you know, like, like you sure. need to go into recovery mode. A, a free t-shirt is not going to, it is not going to take away the anxiety that you may have felt in that, you know, particular type of situation. 
Right. That is a great example for so many reasons. Obviously not the most ideal situation for an amusement park, but how you reacted. And then just to bring it back for the manufacturers, a couple things that I heard, and this is important for manufacturers right off the bat, is the type of communication that requires between different groups, maintenance operations, and the communicating to the guests up there. And I think the communication is the biggest aspect because you, uh, unlike when there's an issue in manufacturing, at least internally, you can communicate however you want. You can throw out swear words and it's like, let's just get this machine back up and running. Right. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> you know, I think that's an important lesson, not only for internal communications, especially external communications, but just how you phrase it and how you can get things done and get a completely different result based on how you approach that. I think that's that's really cool. As we start to wrap up this portion of the interview, uh, another question, I want to shift the focus back to positive guest experience. We've gone through what would be like a, a tumultuous scenario for a day at an amusement park, but what are the three things that go into creating an amazing guest experience? Or same thing as last time, however many, a, a couple of the core tenants that you feel are worth highlighting to creating a great customer experience. Sure. Uh, so there was there was one that I was going to add to the list earlier, but I'm glad you asked this question because it, it fits in nicely here. And that's and that's show. Uh, so, you know, we, when we talk about, you know, uh, safety, service, efficiency, cleanliness, you know, th those types of things. If you look at actually uh, Disney's core attributes in a, in a Disney park, it's, you know, safety. Was it safety, efficiency, service? I can't remember where Clement is. I, it's been a while since I worked for Disney. So You're asking the wrong guy. You're going to know this better than I will. <laughs> but show is one of one of those elements as well, mm -hmm. and that's very much you know when you when you break this down and look at this from it's a kind of a clinical standpoint. If you're in manufacturing, uh, and it's actually kind of funny because I've made several parallels from what we do as far as what the guest experience is uh, is is the show. And there, or it's really, it's, it's the facade of what it is that we are providing them. So like when I was talking earlier about, you know, everything that kind of goes into what makes it seem like it was nothing is all kind of creating this, this show mentality. Mm -hmm. Go back the facade and there's this working machine that your guest doesn't see. Um, if I go and buy a car, you know, I, I've got the car. I, I know how it works. I feel it from the end user um, I don't mm -hmm. see everything that happened in the factory, right? So, but everything in the factory goes into making it so that I get into a car and it and it runs perfectly. It works fine. Everything is is on all cylinders, if you will. Uh, and I don't need to know how it was built per se. Uh, so, focusing on that on that show element, because what we're doing, uh, you know, in our industry is we're captivating people into a story. And that, you know, suspense of disbelief, if you will. Now, if we're talking about something like Cedar Point, we're primarily talking about rides and thrills and adrenaline. We talk about something like Disney or Universal. We're now talking about immersion. And, and it really, it, it falls into play in, in both aspects, but in a little bit of different capacities. So the way in which it is all delivered goes beyond the way that the ride is built or the the thrill aspect of what the ride provides. It's that, you know, I, I want to be told the story while I'm here. Um, and Cedar Point does that very well in the way that they are built to do it, which is very different from the way that Disney or Universal does it in the way that they are built to do it. Uh, and that's what makes the industry so great is that there's, there's so much variety in the way that different parks take this approach. 
Yeah. Well, that's that's a very good point for manufacturers because every I think especially in a B2B industry, people feel sometimes they don't have a story to tell. Right. But like you're saying, Cedar Point versus Disney, it's just a different story that exactly. you tell. It might not be that immersive Disney Universal Studios experience, but there's still a tale to be told in that regard. Yeah. And, and the thing is, if Cedar Point tried to tell stories like Disney tells stories, it would fall flat. And if be, Disney, it would be inauthentic, it, that's yeah. that it would come down to that. Like you, you tried to do it the way that Cedar Point did it, people would be like, "What is this? I came here, you know, for mm-hmm. for a, a different experience." Awesome. As we wrap up this portion of the interview, I, I do want to get one more story. Is there a time that you thought outside of the box to create a memorable guest experience, or helped someone as a consultant now to do that? Yeah. So we'll uh, we'll go back to. Uh, this was 10 years ago now. This was the opening of the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. Uh, the first time at Universal, they since yep. ended up seeing how successful it was and doubled the size of it, built it over in the other park. But working for Universal in 2010 in guest services was uh, a very interesting time in my career because it was it was very much the transformation of of the resort to the point where it had always kind of been a contender, been a you know held a strong place in the Central Florida tourism market, but it was at that point when uh, so many people, the vast majority, were now saying, "Okay, now Universal is really rivaling Disney." So this was, I'll tell you, this was June of 2010. Uh, it okay. opened. It opened in June, mm-hmm. and I was um, in guest service communications. I was a, a senior coordinator. I'd just been promoted from coordinator to senior coordinator. In, uh, in guest communications, which was part of guest services, but we handled all correspondence to and from guests. Uh, so we were getting overwhelmed with everything leading up to the opening of people who were trying to find information, people who may have been confused if they weren't, you know, if they were getting alternative sources versus what Universal was putting out. And ultimately, we ended up in a in a situation where there was a guest. I mean, everyone had their own unique story, right? Everyone was the most important person you know, who, you know, my, my vacation is now X, Y, Z because of you sure. in that capacity. But for whatever reason, this, this one stuck out. And this was uh, one that ended up across my boss's desk and she ended up pulling me into the conversation. I think it was just because I was walking past her office at that time, for whatever reason, I just walked past, said a quick hello. And I heard her look up at me and, and she said, uh, oh yeah. And Josh is going to take great care of you. And I was like, cool. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Just walking by at the right or wrong time, yeah. depending on which way you look at it. <laughs> Apparently, uh, this woman had had flown from New York to Orlando, which is a pretty substantial distance, uh, with her two children, son and daughter. They were, I want to say, somewhere in the like eleven to fourteen range between the two of them. And based on the specific itinerary that they had in the park, everything was going to line up perfectly. They were going to be able to experience the parks in the way that they intended to do it. Uh, there ended up being a number of VIP and media bookings that ended up happening because, I mean, Universal was just getting so much press coverage that ultimately it completely like derailed the time that they were going to have allocated in the park as guests. And they, they made it very clear that it's when I booked, this wasn't scheduled and we bought our tickets and bought our flights and we're staying at this hotel and, you know, X, Y, Z. So it's, it's a situation where you really have to get creative. And I would say, actually, this is, you know, one thing that uh, this out of the box thinking that you're asking me about, this is 
one of the biggest things that really kind of like sparked my passion for guest experience and particularly from a service recovery standpoint, because it's, it's not, it's not a, a transactional exchange. It's not it just a, we ruined your vacation. So we did X, you know, it, it needs to be something that, that goes beyond something that has a monetary component to it, if you will. Yeah. So my boss made some phone calls and uh, apparently what she was saying, oh, Josh is going to take great care of you, was that I was going to go meet them at that ho- at their hotel. We, we kind of collaborated and determined, all right, this is what we can do for the guest. going to meet them at their hotel. I'm going to give them a VIP escort to now the VIP media red carpet event that is being held as part of the grand opening week for Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. And then... On the day of the opening, the Today Show is here, so I'm gonna I'm gonna get them into the park so they're like front and center, like at, at the Today Show. Uh, the next day, actually, uh, so it was the it was the day in between that. I was also a VIP tour guide at the same time too, so I just got them in and was able to just kind of just escort them onto each ride. There were only like three rides, and like all right, they got a bottle yeah. of beer, you know, and, and whatnot. It was, it was purely just my time, my energy, and me just being out of the office doing my regular duties and like being with them. But the thing was, you know, it, it went so far beyond what they had initially expected yeah. when they booked their trip to have a satisfactory mm-hmm. experience. You know, they knew they were coming for grand opening. So they knew that they were going to, they were going to battle crowds. They didn't know what they were going to expect, except that they anticipated that they would at least be able to access the park when they later found out that they weren't going to be able to. So mm-hmm. that red carpet event, I mean, like, if you're a Harry Potter fan, which is ultimately what resulted in them being so upset because they're such big Harry Potter fans. There's no such thing as a low-key Harry Potter no, fan. Let's just be clear. You're, you're, you're on one end of the spectrum or the other. Right? Yeah. So now, like, oh, I'm on this red carpet, like, literally seeing Daniel Radcliffe and, like, J.K. Rowling, like, the, all the stars from the movie, like, walking down as well as, like, you know, even, like, the mayor of Orlando and, like, the entire, like, Orlando magic, you know, they were invited, John Williams. <laughs> And like, like that was something that they couldn't have just like paid extra for, right? It was something mm-hmm. that, you know, we needed to really think outside the box to say, all right, what can we give them that they couldn't buy, that they didn't buy? That's, you know, like we could have just very easily have just been like, all right, well, here's your money back. Sorry, you didn't have a good time. You know, maybe go to Disney instead, whatever, you know? But we said, no, we can actually, with no financial investment, except for the, the minimal amount of, you know, labor that was required with it that we can you know like i said think outside the box to be able to recover from that specific solution now we couldn't do that for every single guest right we had to we had to do this on a on a case-by-case basis and yeah there were Mm -hmm. people who ended up being upset there were a few people who got refunds there were a few people that had you know alternative accommodations made if we can at least get people tickets to come back when we're less busy which took a while for that to happen due to the popularity of it but you know it was it was that that thinking of all right, what can we do to ultimately resolve the situation because we can't just go back and undo what has been done. Great example, especially one of turning lemons into lemonade, creating that experience that goes beyond expectations. Everything I just said right there, one hundred percent works for manufacturers as well in terms of customer experience. I've loved the examples you've brought up today they're great parallels for all the manufacturing leaders out there we're at the end of this portion of the interview do you still want to riff on roller coasters for a while i'm definitely going to make it a bonus episode let's do it 
Oh, we got another beer. Uh, okay, I'm gonna go grab another one from my fridge and let's uh, let's have some fun. I'll be right back. All right. Hey, thanks for listening, and a big thanks to Josh for jumping on today's show. If you want to check out Josh's podcast, Attraction Pros, you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your shows. And if you want to connect on social media, you can find him on Twitter. Either go to Attraction Pros, it's all one word, or you can connect with Josh directly at Joshua underscore Liebman. His last name is seven letters long. It's L-I-E-B-M-A-N. Or for all of these resources and links, you can head to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 17 to access the show notes to today's show. That page is also going to contain any of the roller coasters, amusement parks we mentioned, as well as the ones that we're going to talk about in our upcoming bonus episode where Josh and I just geek out about roller coasters for a solid 45 minutes. Should be a fun round two. It has nothing to do with manufacturing, but hopefully it provides a nice break for you, particularly if you do enjoy roller coasters. That episode is coming up next. Depending on when you're listening to this, it may already be out, but keep an eye out for that and make sure to tune in. Now, we tried something new with today's episode where we went to a different industry outside of the manufacturing space to try to pull lessons that manufacturing leaders can learn from a different sector. I'd be curious to hear what you think. You can either tweet at Manufacturing Happy Hour, it's MFG Happy Hour on Twitter and Instagram, or you can share your thoughts in a rating and review at Apple Podcasts. You can head to Apple Podcasts by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes. It'll take you right there on your iPhone or on your desktop. Leaving a rating is very simple. You just hit that five-star button. The review can be as short as one sentence, but if it's constructive feedback, regardless of the length, it really helps us continue to know what to do on this show, what you want to be hearing, so we can make Manufacturing Happy Hour valuable for you. Again, that's manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes. I'd like to thank our sponsor for today's episode one last time, Concept Systems. Concept Systems is a North American systems integrator, and they cover a spectrum of industries and a breadth of automation technology. Love the team over there, and in fact, I've featured them on Manufacturing Happy Hour in the past in Episode 7. Thank you, Concept Systems, for sponsoring our podcast. And with that, we're going to wrap up for the day. The bonus episode is right around the corner to provide a little more fun and levity before we dive back in to the big, meaty topics. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you again here soon. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.